0: Good morning, those of you joining us online, wherever you're joining us from, it's good to be on your screens, but it's also good to be here with everyone, my family this morning. All right, imagine with me for a moment that you didn't know who I was at all. I was a stranger, we just met on the street, and we're starting to make small talk. Okay, I know, but it's small talk, okay? We're making small talk and we're chatting, and you you know nothing about me, so you ask one of the most common questions you might ask, what do you do? for a living. You know, where I live, um, there's a lot of, um, you know, aunties always around, and they love talking to me because of my son. Like, I, when I'm playing with my son, they see the cute baby, so they approach the baby, and then inevitably, they have to talk to me, right? So it's just part of the deal. So anyway, they always, you know, we talk, and they ask me, oh, so what do you do? How long have you lived here? All that sort of boring stuff. Um, so whenever I tell them I'm a pastor, their reaction is always... It's like, what? You are a pastor? No way, I don't believe it. Actually, this is quite often the reaction I get when I tell people I'm a pastor. They think, they think things like, but you look so young, right? Thank you very much, of course, right? Um, you don't look like a pastor. You don't sound like a pastor. You don't act like a pastor. You know, I would have thought you were a male model or something like that, right? But not a pastor. <laughs> All right, I understand, it's okay. In our local Hong Kong context, right, there's a certain expectation of what a pastor is supposed to look like. I'm gonna to try to say this respectfully, okay? They're normally men of a certain vintage, okay? They wear these old-school suits, and they act kind of boring. They're rather sensible people, right? I, on the other hand, am still sometimes mistaken for a university student. No offense to university students out there. I'm prone to say slightly cheeky and act in a slightly cheeky way sometimes. That's just who I am. But it just goes to show, right, for better or worse, there is some sort of expectation as to what a pastor is supposed to be like. But why don't we zoom out for a minute? What about just being a Christian in general? What expectations are there? What reactions have you faced when you've told people, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus? Maybe hopefully most of us, it's been, yeah, I can see that, you know, I can see that you're a Christian. But maybe perhaps also it's been times just, what? No way, you're a Christian? We're continuing our series through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we reach a very challenging passage in the letter today. But it's also a challenge, I hope, that we can rise up as this church, but just as Christians in general, together. I mean, after all, we've named this series An Alternative Society, so it'd be pretty pointless for us to keep speaking on this topic week in and week out for the how many, I think we're in this for the next few more weeks at least, if it doesn't actually have an effect on how we live, if it doesn't shape us to be the society that God has called us to be. And so understanding this passage today is going to be key part of that. And as we look especially as our society, in our city, in our church, I mean, this is my home. Hong Kong is my home, born and raised here. Often we all Hong Kongers even refer to this place that we love so much as Hong Kong, right? It's got the best food, it's got the best views, it's got the best everything. We love our city. But all of us have at the same time also experienced what it's been like to live here in this place. And one of the most heartbreaking things that we have seen is the disunity that's happened amongst our citizens. Over the past years, as I've been talking to people on the street, as I talk to the, you know, the person that's serving me food at the restaurant, the taxi driver, the person sitting next to me on the minibus, whoever it is, all the uncles and aunties, what I really sense and what I hear is a deep sadness Right, The reaction is always like, Hong Kong never used to be like this. Our city has changed so much. They say things like, you know, I never used to lock my door, but now I'm even afraid to go out at night. People have become so rude and selfish, don't you think so? Like Everyone on the street right now only cares about themselves, never used to be like this. Or within families, you know, I've heard so many stories about people, my children, my son, my daughter, they won't even talk to me anymore. I don't even know what I've done wrong. And these sentiments of disunity have even crept into the Christian communities, into the churches, and yes, let's not be naive church, even right here at the Vine. And it's definitely had an effect on us. The church in Philippi, who Paul's writing to, was also facing similar challenges of this unity. As persecution and uncertainty rose up in the city, the church began to be divided as to how they were supposed to navigate through this challenge. And within the church, there became attitudes of distrust, of self-seeking, and and as to wondering whether or not God was really going to help them through this tough time. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, we see two church leaders, Yodia, two women church leaders, Iodia and Syntyche. they had such a big argument with each other that it threatened to tear the church apart. And Paul, having seen the destructive power of disunity at work in the church in Rome that he also loved very much, was trying to encourage um, the church in Philippi not to go down the same path. So why is this passage important to us? Well, we as a Christian community, we as a church, are at a point in this city that sits at the crossroads of history. Like I said, we're a church that has seen the disruptive power of um, disunity ripped through our communities, and we have a choice to make. We can either let this disunity run rampant in our church and in our society, or we can take this opportunity to demonstrate that there is a different way to live. There is an opportunity for us to demonstrate who we are as Christians, not just through our individual conduct, as important as that is, but rather through how we remain united through the toughest of times. And if we can do this, when people look at us, there will be no doubt in their mind who we are. We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. So we're going to read today's passage in a moment. Um, It might sound familiar because Pastor Andrew spoke about this passage in the introduction to this series. And If if you remember, his focus uh, back in that week one was to look at us as citizens of heaven. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But like I said, uh, our main focus of today is going to be on the topic of unity. And so, in the spirit of unity, I want to invite someone from our congregation to come and read this passage. Uh, this is Hayden, ladies and gentlemen. Hayden is one of our leaders at 180. And in, in the spirit of community, um, unity, actually, Hayden has just really started a really cool project. Him and a group of friends have started a gym. In And it's it's being renovated right now, but it's a small gym. But their heart is really to bring citizens in that area together, have a place for them to work out and use it as a platform for the gospel. So that's a really amazing thing Hayden is doing. If you want to know more, I'm sure you can ask him about that at the end of the service. Is that okay, dude? Yeah, okay. (laughs) I just threw that on you. But anyway, um, Hayden is going to uh, read this passage for us. Chapter 4, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to, to them that they will be destroyed, that, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Thank you, Hayden. So as Pastor Andrew have already explained to us, right The city of Philippian, the city of Philippi, sorry, was a Roman colony, which meant that the church in Philippi was a church living in an environment that was extremely hostile to the faith and as paul once again finds himself locked up in prison he writes to these group of he writes to this church to these group of christians not to ask for help but rather to thank them and to encourage them and to remind them about the importance of unity in the midst of the challenges they're facing this is a community that paul loves deeply and he really wants to go and visit them someday. He talks later on about, you know, one day, really soon, I hope, and I come, I'm going to see you face to face. But he doesn't know for sure that that's going to be able to happen. There's a whole bunch of stuff that could happen to him right now since he is in prison. I mean, he might continue to be in prison. He might be sent away somewhere else. There's a chance that he might even be executed And so one of the first things that stood out to me as I read this passage were the words right at the beginning, where it says, whatever happens, whatever happens. One thing clear over the past few years is that we literally, right, we have no idea what's going to happen in the future. The events we've seen unfold in Hong Kong and around the world would have been so hard, even for the most perceptive of people, to be able to predict. And that's just on the, micro, on the macro level, right? I'm sure that in your personal lives and in the lives of your friends and the families and the people around you, there have been things, events that have occurred that have left you thinking, what in the world? Like, How did this even happen? I never expected my life to take this turn. I never expected my life to look like the way it does now. But this is why Paul says exactly, Whatever happens. And I think the encouragement here is this whatever happens, it shouldn't change our faith in Jesus. It shouldn't change the fact that we should live lives worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens, it shouldn't threaten to tear our unity apart. You see, there's a real danger we often fall into. When things get tough, right, we begin to give ourselves excuses. We begin to say things like, man, you know, Things are just kind of busy and crazy in in Hong Kong right now. And I'm kind of busy. I'm just going to wait until things calm down a bit until I get serious about my relationship with Jesus. Or perhaps it might be like, there is no way I'm ever going to talk to this person or that person ever again. Have you heard what they said? Do you see what they post on social media? I'm never talking to that person again. We begin to say things like that. But what is Paul teaching here? Paul is teaching us that we must try hard not to conduct our lives based upon situations and circumstances, but rather, as followers of Jesus, our goal is to be shaped by the kingdom of God. Whatever happens, listen, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This little phrase, conduct yourselves, also, as Andrew told us in the introduction, is an unusual phrase, but it's with meaning, right? Its meaning is actually um, act as citizens, right? As citizens. We are followers of Jesus and we have a high obligation as citizens. Citizens of what? Paul tells us straight up, Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is in heaven. Ultimately, that's where we belong. That's going to be our eternal home when someday this earth is restored and renewed. By God. And so, as we live right now in 2021, not knowing what's going to come in the future, with lots of uncertainty, maybe a bit of anxiety, as we go about our lives, filled with work, relationships, engagements, children, marriage, birthday, death, migration, whatever happens, we cannot forget first and foremost who we are. And we are citizens of heaven, which means there's a certain way we have been called to act to treat each other, to conduct ourselves. A way that looks far different from the rest of this world. All right, that sounds like a lot of pressure, right? How are we supposed to do this? Well, here's the thing. If you try and do this by yourself, it's not going to work. You can't do this by yourself. and maybe more importantly, you're not supposed to do this by yourself. This is why Paul goes on to say, listen, stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Now, a curious thing about human beings is often we are much braver and more courageous when we are with other people. And of course, many times this works itself out in bad ways. I remember when I was at school, by myself and maybe other school teachers will attest to this as, as well, By myself, I was generally quite a well-behaved, believe it or not, student, right? Generally quite well-behaved. But if you got a group of us boys together, there was no telling what kind of trouble we could get into. But this is a theory of crowd mentality, where people collectively began to adapt the same ideas, which at times, when they lose their minds together, leads to great destruction. However, this can also work for the good. For example, don't you feel a lot more courageous when we know the people around us are willing to walk with us through the storms of life? We get inspired to be better, don't we, when we see others acting in noble, virtuous, and courageous ways. A great example of this within our own community is how Branches of Hope and the Chinese community have been working so well together, two groups from very different walks of life coming together on the weekends to go out and feed the hungry right here in Wan Chai. This is exactly the kind of thing that the Paul's encouraging the church in Philippi to do and encouraging us to do today. Stand firm in one spirit. It means to have the same heart and to be of the same mind. And the metaphor Paul is going for here is like a great sports team. Everyone working together to win the game. Well, maybe let me put it this way. The Christian journey, church, your discipleship, your path to becoming more like Jesus was never meant to be an individualistic exercise. This is why the scriptures refers to us as one body. This is why we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. This is why the Bible says when one part hurts, every single part hurts. Think about this. A few weeks ago, when Bona and his family, Colette, and his sons from Africa are now going to be finally reunited in Canada together. After 16 years of prayer, 16 years of praying, and God finally answered the prayer, now they're reunited in Canada. Even though it didn't happen directly to us, didn't it bring joy to this community? This room was filled with joy and celebration when we found out that news. And didn't it inspire you and encourage you to have a deeper faith in God, to knowing, hey, maybe if God can do that for Bona and his family, he is such a faithful God, such a powerful God, maybe he can do that too for the impossible things in my life. And we bless them as they go. Church, this is supposed to be a community, a family, a society from where we can draw strength with each other. This is how we stand firm together, and it's an amazing thing. Psalm 133, verse 1 says this, How good, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for God's people to dwell together in unity. But what happens when we're not unified? If we're not standing firm together. If we're not unified and if we're not standing firm, even when God does amazing things, instead of leading us to rejoice together, it might lead us to be angry and jealous and bitter. And we look at situations like Bonner and think, man, why did he deserve that? I've been praying for many years too. How come God didn't do that for me? And we get angry and bitter and jealous and sort of rejoicing together as scriptures have called us to do. I think this is what Paul means when he says later on in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. But not only, church, do we stand firm. Yes, this is calling us to stand firm together. But it's not just to stand firm. But also, it tells us in this next part of the verse, to strive together as one for faith of the gospel. Other, con- other translations use the word contend together as one for faith of the gospel So you see, standing firm together doesn't mean just standing in one place, not doing anything, building a big cocoon, protecting ourselves. But if we continue this sports team analogy that Paul gives us, we're also to move forward and advance together as one team. And this team is not one that contends for titles and championships and rings or records or anything like that. This is a team contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a team that's advancing the good news. And the unity in this team is what's truly going to demonstrate the truth of the gospel. The gospel message that Jesus, who loved the world, gave His life up for us on the cross. That His blood reconciles us with the Father, opening up a new and radical way to live. That on the third day, Jesus rose again and He's alive and reigning on His throne. Jesus, who told us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Jesus, who said a house divided against itself would not stand. Jesus, who said, um, Jesus, who lived a life lived by grace and love and mercy. And because of this, we owe everything, our entire lives to Him. This is the message of the gospel that we're contending for. So church, let me ask you this again. Do you see yourself as part of a team much bigger than yourself? Do you see that even as you come to Sunday service or as you tune in online, other people who are joining us online right now, the people sitting next to you, these aren't just random people. These are teammates together with the same desire as you to advance this message of the gospel. And we have to learn to see each other in this way. Otherwise, the church coming to church, these Sunday services, whatever you do, will always be an individualistic experience tailored for you. It will always be about how God can make me feel better, how God can help me, how God can bless me, how I can have a better relationship with God. These things are good, church. It's fine. You should have a good personal relationship with God. But if you don't go beyond that, you're missing out on a whole lot of what God wants you to experience as a follower of Him. There is so much more to discipleship, to being like Jesus in that. You are part of a team, and this team needs you. We need to be together in this. But like I said, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be things that come our way that will challenge us. We are going to have enemies and other things that will try and oppose us and to frighten us. And there will be things that threaten to tear our unity apart, which is why we need to stand firm and fight back or contend against these things without being frightened, as Paul says, in any way. But this is the thing about fear, right? Fear will often try to provoke a reaction for you. According to world-famous physician Dr. Marshall Mathers, when we feel afraid, our bodies react, right? Palms get sweaty, knees get weak. Arms get heavy. You might even throw up your dinner that mom made you. The church in Philippi were facing some serious opposition because of their faith in Jesus. And they had to decide how to react. As a Roman colony, citizens were expected to give their ultimate allegiance to the Roman emperor. He was seen as a god. Caesar was seen as a god. In addition to him, there were many other pagan gods that other people worshipped. In addition to that, there was a group called the Judaizers that were trying to force um, Mosaic law and circumcision on people who wanted to join the community. And of course, in addition to all of this, were the spiritual forces of evil literally hell-bent on stopping the advancement of the gospel. And so part of the unity that w- uh, this unity excuse me, that was coming was in trying to decide how to react when the opposition was coming this way. Some of the church were wanting to give in and hide away from the dangers, and others were saying, no, we need to fight on, we need to contend. But how about us today? What are some fears that we have in Hong Kong when it comes to advancing the gospel? What kind of opposition do we face? And the bigger question is, in the face of this opposition, how are we going to decide how to react? Our city right now, we still have the very precious gift of the, religious, um, of the freedom of religion. And so perhaps many of us haven't really experienced what it's like to be persecuted because of your faith, in the same way that Paul at the church in Philippi were experiencing. But just personally speaking, right? I'd be lying if I was, I w- I'd say I wasn't worried about that this might become a future reality for us here in this city. And we need to think seriously right now: how we're going to react if that ever happens to us. That's a that's a question we need to wrestle with quite seriously. But like I said, right now opposition to the gospel might not come in this way, but it might come in. It does come even in more subtle ways. That can be just as frightening. Maybe it's like this: you're in a very traditional local Hong Kong family, and you're the only Christian in your family. And you know, the moment you go up to your parents or to your family, to your grandparents and say, I can't worship idols anymore. I can't chong heung. I can't do incense anymore because I worship Jesus now. You know that they're going to be so upset with you, they might cut you out of the family and never speak to you again. Maybe in our culture right now, right? The idea that sex is something to be reserved within the boundaries of marriage is seen as something so prude and old fashioned, nobody lives that way anymore. And so you're afraid. You're afraid that you'll never find a person to be, in a re- uh, to be in a healthy relationship with that will respect that ideal that you hold. And so you feel like you have no choice but to give in, even though you know that's not what's God's best for you. Or try telling individuals or businesses with heavy investments in countries where there's been forced labor. Tell them that one of the major global issues, gospel issues of today is the forced labor of people. And watch the angry, scornful reaction that you might get from them. Try telling people perhaps that God isn't yellow or blue, but rather He loves us all despite our political views. And we have indeed been called to pray for and no, even to love those people we see as enemies. And in our fear of these things, right, our reaction too might be to give up, to give in, to abandon this relationship that we have with Jesus, and to stop talking about the gospel. Are you seeing now, church, why it's important for us to stick together in this advancement of the gospel? In a community, you're not going to be the only one who's struggling with these fears. So when we see others around us standing firm, When we see our community encourage us to stand firm, we are inspired to stand firm. And when we stand firm, we declare that fear is not going to stop us from doing what God has called us to do. By remaining united and striving together, we're demonstrating to the whole world that we are not afraid. And when we put on a united front, fear loses its power. Well then, okay, let's say we do this we stand firm, we strive, we work hard to advance the gospel, we conduct ourselves in a way that's worthy, well, then, of course, then that's how God's going to bring the blessings upon us, right? Then we deserve it, then, of course. This is how we get blessings from God. This is how peace and prosperity comes for us, right? Not exactly. Follow Jesus. It's going to lead to suffering. Probably not the best selling point of our faith, but yet it's one of the most fundamental truths about a relationship with Jesus. But we like the passages about God blessing us, right? We love those passages about God giving us good gifts, protecting us, providing for us, and we should because that is the kind of God that we serve I'm not shaming us for believing in those things. We want God to lavish us with all that's good, to do for us immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And yes, like I said, God does love us. He does want to bless us and give us good gifts. But that doesn't mean that life with Him is going to be sunshine and rainbows all day long. Paul ends this passage with these words. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to listen, suffer for Him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I mean, if there's anybody who was deserving not to struggle, not to suffer for, for his um, relationship with God, for his work in the gospel anymore, surely it would be the apostle Paul but he's still in suffering. In his letter to Timothy, Paul says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Jesus himself, the one we're trying to be like, the one we're trying to model our lives upon, the one we're trying to follow in his footsteps, says it this way, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. In this world, you will have trouble. Everyone will hate you because of me. So here's what I'm trying to say. If we want to believe that Jesus is going to bless us and give us good things, then we're also going to have to accept that suffering and persecution is part of our journey with Him. And of course, nobody likes suffering. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not teaching us, I'm not calling us to go out and seek ways to suffer. right? That's not what this passage is seeking. But what it is saying is that suffering is bound to come sooner or later if we are loyal to Jesus. So why do we spend so much time making our lives so cushy and comfortable to avoid any kind of suffering at all when perhaps suffering in the name of Jesus is a sign that we're actually doing something right for Him? Again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about all suffering here. There is the kind of suffering that just comes from the fact that we live in a sinful and fallen world. Random tragedies that happen. People get sick, people die, sickness and disease, tragedy. These things are horrible, and those things are not from God. There's also the kind of suffering that comes from the consequences of our own sin. And those are just normal things that happen that you have to bear because of our sin. Those, that suffering comes in that way too. But what I am saying is this. As we work on our unity, as we push back the darkness, as we proclaim the gospel, that is going to cause us to suffer because it's going to be out of step with the world and it's going to cause tension amongst ourselves. But look at it like this way, in this way, as Paul teaches us. This is exactly the kind of suffering that Paul describes God has granted, gifted, is another way to translate this, us to walk through. This is a gift from God. What Paul realizes is that in the battle for truth, battle scars are going to be inevitable. And it's easy to take suffering for Jesus as a sign that something is going wrong to interpret persecution as a signal that God wants you to stop when exactly the opposite of this is true. So here's the challenge, church. Here's the way we demonstrate that we are truly an alternative society. Here's how we demonstrate that the God we serve is the one true God. That when persecution comes our way, that when suffering becomes because we are wholeheartedly devoted to King Jesus, we as a church are unflinching, moving and united. We stand on the shoulders, church, of people like John the Baptist, or people like Paul and the Apostles, early church fathers like Polycarp, missionaries like Hudson Taylor and Liang Fa, who was the first Protestant Christian in China, preachers like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and many more. These knew what it was like to stand firm in the face of persecution, to inspire the communities to do the same. And if the church is going to continue the work of advancing the gospel, now it's our responsibility to keep on doing this, no matter what. And finally, this is important because it's not something we can take lightly because the consequences of this are great. It doesn't just impact our time on this earth right here, right now, but rather there are eternal consequences to whether or not we act as a unified church in this way. Look back at this part of the passage with me one more time. Philippians 1, verse 18, the second part. This is a sign to them, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. The things we do on this earth, some of the things we do on this earth, have eternal consequences, church. And what Scripture is telling us here is this that by the church, working as one team, not being afraid of persecution and suffering, moving forward, advancing the gospel, it will serve as a signal to the rest of the world about what happens to those who are not on God's team, who are not on Team Jesus. They might not realize it yet, but their fate, it says, is destruction. And again, this is one of the hard truths we have to embrace. The Bible scripture tells us very clearly Anything that is an enemy to God will one day end in death and destruction and eternal separation from God. But for those of us on God's team, for those of us who remain brave and loyal to Jesus, because um, and, uh, brave and loyal to Jesus, it tells us that one day the whole world is going to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day. And our result is salvation and eternal life with Christ forever. Paul realizes this. Which is why in some ways, if you read through the book of Philippians, he says some outrageous things. He says things like, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he knows for sure that his citizenship isn't part of this world. He knows that even if he dies in his advancement for the gospel, even he gets persecuted to the point of death, he gets the amazing privilege of seeing Jesus face to face. And so this is how God is using us at the church. A unified church advancing the gospel It's literally the way Jesus wants to use us to save the world. People within the church are going to be encouraging each other to keep fighting the good fight. And for those of, those, those of us people out there who don't know Jesus yet... They get to look at the church and this society and how it functions. And they see people living in an alternative way. And without any confusion, they're able to say, yes, these people are Christians. Look at the way they treat each other. They're not like others. They're always kind and honest and honoring. This is a group that's remained firm even through the toughest of times. Anything you throw at them, it doesn't seem to phase them. These people love each other sacrificially. These people live with a quiet confidence that's unshaken by the scary things of life. That's the team that I want to be on. They, they serve a God that seems to love them no matter what. That's the society that I want to be in. So, this is the prayer for us, church. As a church, as Christians, Living at a time like this in Hong Kong, we have an opportunity to demonstrate to the world there is a different way to live. Despite the hard times, despite what the uncertainties, despite the things that we face, there is a God that loves us. There is a God that cares for us, who wants us to live in a different way. So church, I wonder if you'd join me in standing. And we're going to pray for this, for God to continue to shape us to be this community, this society that he's called us to be so Jesus as we talk about this and I know even in my own heart as as we think about these things, as we think about the topic of unity it's not going to be easy and I confess, even in my own heart and in my own mind, there are people who right now I'd rather not talk to, who I disagree with so much that I feel like, I'd be fine if I never saw that person ever again and just forget about them. I don't care what happens. But Lord, you have called us to be different. And amongst these wounds and these scars, Father, yeah, first I do pray for your justice to come but that's up to you, Jesus. And our call as a society is to remain loyal to you, is to encourage each other in this faith. It's to never be afraid to proclaim your love and your grace and your mercy to a world that's hurting and who needs to hear this, that there is a different way to live. That on this team, we serve the God, the one true God who reigns over everything who is going to redeem and renew all things when the time is right. But until then, Lord, help us to be a community, a society that loves like you. Help us not to be afraid when opposition comes up to remain firm, to remain faithful to the call you've given us as followers of you. I pray for every single one of my Family who's watching this and who's in this room right now, bind us together, Lord, with your love. Give us the unity that you've called us towards. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and mighty name. Amen.